Rocky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, here to talk about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. And tonight, well, we're going we're gonna to try something here on the program that we haven't done in a while, something that we try to avoid <laughs> a lot of the time, uh, <laughs> even though we've spent in, in the, the, what, the... Almost 15 years of doing this show. It'll be 15 years next month. Yeah, next month. Yeah. Um, so 15 years, uh, actually, literally a month from today, will be our 15th anniversary. January 26th, 2006. I shall bring the bubbly. <laughs> but uh, we, in all that time, we have talked a lot about this one particular paranormal <laughs> case. And it keeps coming back. Whenever we talk about it, it causes problems. We used to have a problem where every time we talked about it, everything would go haywire. I'm hoping that we've gone beyond that. I bet yeah. that, that's a problem that goes <laughs> yeah. beyond this. Yeah, that um, started before. You know, also celebrating its 15th anniversary this year is that headphone box. Yeah. So that's probably why it's giving... Actually, it's probably older than that. Uh, but the... Uh, we... We avoided saying the word for a long time. We would just call it the A word because every time that we would say Amityville on the air, we would have problems. And and we have done a lot of shows on Amityville. We've looked at it from a lot of different angles. Uh, we've looked at it from a lot... Of, we've had a lot of different guests on to talk about it. We have talked about it from the DeFeo perspective, the DeFeo murders that happened at 112 Ocean Avenue. Uh, we have talked about it from the Lutz perspective, the Lutz family moving in and being the ones who experienced what became known as the Amityville Horror. So we have looked at it from a variety of different angles. We've had people on that, you know, believed the Lutzes. We've had people on that didn't believe the Lutzes. We've had people on who have uh, worked, uh, talked with and, and become close with Ronnie DeFeo, uh, the, the Amityville murderer who is, who is uh, rotting away in prison for committing those murders. We have had people who have called in and we've actually had a member of the Lutz family on. I mean, we have covered this inside and out from every possible angle, but there's always more conversation to be had about it. And I wasn't going to talk about it yet for a couple of reasons. One, because there's a new documentary coming out uh, that I, I had the opportunity to see on a screener. And I'm not allowed to talk about it yet, to give a review of it yet. Uh, the, the information is, uh, is, is embargoed until Monday, which means that we, you know, we have to wait until Monday to publish my review. But you'll be able to read it on ultimateunexplained.com uh, on Monday. But I'm going to talk around it a little bit tonight because I, I was going to say like, well, hold off, you know, I'm working with discovery to try to get some, some people from the, the documentary to come on and be a guest and to talk about it. So I was like, well, well, we'll hold off on talking about it, but everything is just lining up too much for me not to talk about it tonight. Uh huh. So let me, as, let me, as I'm looking at the TV. At the yeah. Moment. Well, let me start at the beginning. I'm going to give this a little chronology. Uh, so, okay, everybody that listens to this program knows that Amityville is the case that I'm mo the most obsessed with. That it's the, the, the one place that I would want to investigate if I could. It's the one true paranormal story, and we can argue whether it's true or not, but the one, you know, supposedly true story that really kind of got me interested in the research end of the paranormal. Yes, it's 
pretty much stated fact for the past 15 years. Yeah. And and what happened was, you know, I knew of the movie. I had seen the movie when I was a kid. And I didn't really take into account, like, the true story, you know, aspect of it much. But then I was probably about 11 or 12 years old. And I was at a flea market on Cape Cod. And I, you know, would go to flea markets and buy bags and boxes of paperback books. You know, your parents, my parents were, my dad worked at the flea market. He had a, a, a table there selling auto parts. And because uh, the company that he worked for was an auto parts company. So he would buy the surplus stock and go and sell it at the, at the yard sale. And if I helped him out, he would give me a couple of bucks. So it was, it was basically, you know, I could count on getting like a $5 bill every Sunday mm-hmm. just for helping out, which is, you know, a lot of money to an 11 or 12 year old kid. And it bought a lot of comic books at a quarter a piece, yep. uh, or I would buy a lot of paperbacks at a quarter a piece. And I just so happened to see sitting on a blanket, the Amityville horror book. And I said, Oh, I remember that. And it says, you know, the terrifying true story. I was like, Oh, hold on. Wait, what? <laughs> so I picked up the book. I started thumbing through it and I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy this. And I went back to the campsite, uh, the campsite, the, uh, yard sale site and I started um, flipping through and started reading the book and next thing I know I've completely read the book cover to cover just while I was sitting there that day and so I read it two more times that week and just became totally obsessed with it now I there's no internet back then you know we're talking this is like 1991 92 so there was it wasn't there well, but there, I couldn't. I didn't have access to it. Right. Uh, I had no way to really look anything up. You couldn't go. There's nothing you can go and look up in the right. library except the Amityville Horror book. Uh, but I just became kind of obsessed with it, and I would, I would always get TV guide. Well, I didn't get TV guide. My grandmother did, <laughs> uh, and I would look through TV guide every time she got it to see if it was going to be showing, you know, so I could watch it. Uh, and then finally, I did get to catch it at one point and and record it on the VCR. But I just became obsessed with it and. It, it was something that definitely carried through when the internet came around and I could like look stuff up and all that stuff. So uh, naturally it was going to become part of Spooky South Coast when we started doing this program and it was something that I wanted to talk about. I didn't realize that it would have the effect that it had on the program where it, it became, I, I don't want to over-dramatize this and I don't want to sound like we're being, you know... Um, you know, I don't want to make it sound like we're, we're we're mocking anybody that has been under the true curse of anything paranormal, but I feel like it's been a bit of a curse for us. <laughs> that it's notorious. If you go back and listen yeah. to those old episodes, it doesn't have to be the Amityville episodes either. But anytime anybody said that word, it would lead to problems. And we even went so far as to have the studio blessed. Uh, we've even tr- times, okay. yeah, we've tried to avoid having any issues with it by not saying the word outright, but it just it seems to be something that happened again and again. And, and I think we put enough distance between ourselves and it happening. And I think the turning point actually came when we had Jackie Barrett on, because Jackie became the spiritual advisor to Ronnie DeFeo, and. That was the night when she told me that Ronnie DeFeo had a message for me mm-hmm. and that I should stop looking into the Amityville house because it was looking at me. Um, so, yeah. So that was, uh, that was a freaky moment, but I think that kind of broke whatever it was. 
so ever since then, we haven't had a problem. I've, I've mentioned it all the time on, on Midnight Society and never had an issue. So I think that we are in the clear to talk about it tonight. So then that being said, as I mentioned, it's something that I, I talk about and I've mentioned on Midnight Society that I am, you know, obsessed with that case. And one of my listeners, uh, great guy, uh, he said he wanted to send a little gift for, I was, I think I had mentioned the Bradford Exchange having the Amityville, um, like, model. And so uh, he emailed me and said, you know, because you've been our kind of go-to entertainment during this pandemic and everything, you know, as a token of thanks, this, this is coming your way. And he ordered, nice of very nice of him. He ordered he ordered the the Amityville house. It's part of uh, like Haunted Houses of America or something. Is the name of the series from the Bradford Exchange. They've only announced two so far. It's the Amityville house and Franklin Castle. They need uh, to include Lizzie's. I think there's probably you know a plan to have it, but there's probably some licensing issues. Got it. Um, so they they put out this one and Franklin Castle and. It's been a while since they've announced anything else. Like these, these were announced like three years ago, and I always thought about getting one, and I never ordered it. So, so thankfully, Lynn was nice enough to order one, and he, and he told me that it was coming. And the Bradford Exchange said that it wouldn't be here. Originally, he ordered it like a couple months ago, and it should have only taken like what, like six to eight weeks for delivery, that kind of thing. Yeah. But the Bradford Exchange sent him notification that it was like back ordered because. You know, the pandemic, they haven't right. been producing things as quickly. Like everything else. Right. So they said it, it was expected shipment June 2021. I was like, okay, you know, that's that's fine. I understand. So I was here doing the news, filling in for Mary, the news director, when she was on vacation. And, uh, and, and one of the DJs from Fun 107 walks in with a box. He says, here, this came for you. I was like, I'm not really, I'm not expecting any packages. And I open it up. And inside of it, it's the Amityville house from the Bradford Exchange. So it came sooner than expected, but I had no idea that it was coming. Okay, weird enough. Then I got an email from uh, Discovery Channel, and they have a new streaming service coming out called Discovery Plus. And as part of this launch of Discovery Plus. They have a new Shock Doc special called, and I th I think, yeah, I can talk about it being, I can talk about it coming out. I just can't give a review yet. So the Shock Doc special is called Amityville Horror House. Now, they had a very successful shock doc about uh, the Warrens. I thought that was very well done, you know, very entertaining. Now they're putting out this Amityville one on their streaming service. The launch date for this, for, the, for this to hit the streaming service, is January 4th, 2021. Do you know what January 4th is? We, we, it's a couple of weeks from now. <laughs> but do you know what the significance of that date is? Moni's, we've been friends for 15 years now. <laughs> you don't know what January 4th is? It's my birthday. <laughs> ah. So the documentary <laughs> on Amityville is coming out on my birthday. 
And I get this this email announcing that. I was like, okay, now things are getting really weird. But I wasn't going to talk about it tonight when we came in because I said, eh, we, we better wait because they're going to try and get us somebody from the documentary. And, you know, the review is embargoed till Monday so I can talk more freely about it if we push it off to next week. You know, and, and that'll be previewing, you know, the, the entire, um, uh, you know, we can really do the whole episode just about that without having to watch what we say. So I said, hey, well, just hold off on it. And then I came into the studio tonight. I, I had my dinner with me. And usually when I come in here before I set up everything, I put the TV on something to watch and I eat my dinner. You know, we have to eat it in this little yeah. square now. Um, but I'm, I'm eating my dinner and I'm, I'm flipping through the channels. And what's on but Amityville 2. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And, and think about this. It's not a movie that you see on the air quite often. And Amity, either of them, actually, any of them anymore, yeah. except during like Halloween. But you like you don't expect to be flipping through the channels yeah, and Christmas. finding. Maybe, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good Christmas movie. And if you are gonna see one, you know, usually it's the original or yeah, yeah. the Ryan Reynolds remake. Yeah, you don't really get to see you know two, three, four, or definitely not any of the direct to video ones. Uh, but I was like, okay, that's a sign. So we're gonna talk about it. So that is the, the, the discussion for tonight. We're going to talk about the Amityville horror case. We're going to talk about, you know, some of the things that we believe about it, some of the things that we we think we know about it, and we'll talk about kind of the effect that the story has had. I want to say, and you were alive during this time, Moniz. I was not. Um, but you were young. So I don't know how much it was on your radar. But do you remember seeing newspaper articles about a haunted house prior to the Amityville case? Directly related to that case? No. No, but I mean, like, would you open up the newspaper and read an article about, you know, homeowners say house is haunted? Yeah, it, yeah, I, I would, yeah. Okay, so when, but when this came out, this went crazy. This story was, like, picked up internationally. Uh, when once, once the Lutzes came forward with their story... That kind of hit. I'm, I know the DeFeo murder was going to be, you know, obviously that's big news. When somebody kills their entire family, that's going to be big news. Yes. Uh, especially prior to him being convicted of it because there was so much dramatic stuff that went on with, you know, first he, him claiming that he had nothing to do with it. Then him claiming that uh, Butch DeFeo, Ronnie DeFeo claimed that he was uh, held at gunpoint by a mafia member and that it was the mafia that killed this family, which when you look at the way that they were killed, it, it, you know, it was plausible at the time for sure. Especially since, you know, um, Big Ronnie supposedly had ties to the mafia and the, the mother's father yeah. was supposedly uh, part of the mafia. So, you know, that's an understandable angle. Uh, and then, of course, he comes forward and admits to doing it, but then he admits to doing it because he was under some sort of possession, uh, which is why Amityville 2 is called Amityville 2, the possession. Uh, the, but the, and then part of that story gets expanded when uh, Hans Holzer conducts his investigation of the Amityville house and comes up with all of this, you know, uh, through the, the, the medium was, I think it was Ethel Johnson, comes up with all of the stuff 
that she comes up with about the Native American history and the colonists and there always being something evil on that site and all of that. So then you start to move in the evil spirits idea. And there's also been a lot of misinformation that's come out over the years about it, too. Uh, some of it from the movies, people taking pieces from the, you know, Hollywood out of it. And, and I think that the, the, the people in the paranormal world today, you know, the, the paranormal investigators that are out there, might have a better understanding of how this works now, where the idea of based on a true story, because we've seen movies made of cases that we have investigated or of cases that are, you know, that were friends with the people who endured those cases. Uh, what was the, the haunting in Connecticut case? You know, yeah. everybody was friends with the, with the people involved in that because she was such a big part of the paranormal world. And so they were quick to point out all those differences between what actually happened and what was portrayed in the movie. And the movie was kind of limited because they couldn't, talk about the Warrens because there was already development deal for the Warrens under something else from my understanding. And Conjuring, obviously. And then, so I think that was kind of the big touchstone for people of this era of paranormal investigation to realize, like with the Conjuring case, that's like, this is how you should learn that the movie that gets made doesn't have to have anything to do with their actual true life story. A good example that I can take from the UFO one would be the story about Travis Walton, mm -hmm. Fire in the Sky. I mean, that's another example of where, it, I, I mean, I know that there's a lot of elements in that story that are Everything from the case. Everything that dealt with the way the, the other uh, people were treated, you know, by law enforcement and, you know, is absolutely correct, pretty much verbatim. What happened with Travis on board what they show in the craft is complete Hollywood. And I, and I think that that probably has a lot to do with the same thing that I think happened with The Conjuring. where And I have no proof of this. This is just my own speculation. Yeah, that's in both why cases. I'm making that analogy. Yeah. There was a script already that had to do with this subject matter. And they said, well, let's apply what's in that script to this story that we just bought and kind of cross-pollinate them and see what we can kind of come up with. And and I think that that, like, The the Conjuring just feels to me like a, a haunted house movie that had been kicking around for a while, and then they just applied those elements to, you know, the Perrin story. So I, and, and it's probably the same thing with Fire in the Sky, too, where, you know, there's, there's a, a script out there for an abduction movie but at the time, abduction movies wouldn't have been something that would have gotten made, or if it did, it would have been something that was you know direct to video. It wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been a big Hollywood film. But then when you have this other story that you buy the rights to, that is a true story. Now you say, well, by putting based on a true story on it, now it's a bigger deal, and now we can take some of those elements that were in that script that we like, and we can work it into it. Well, I can say that definitely did happen with Travis. You know, I've known Travis for decades, and that's one of the things he said. Yeah, when they were doing my story, they were focusing on getting all of the stuff that happened to everybody here on Earth, as he says it, right. And it's like the, the experience that he had, it allowed them to do their own, you know, version of what they wanted to do. And, and let's look at it a little bit from the perspective of the you know the the film producers of that time so we're talking the early 90s 
Yeah. Uh, so it's before, you know, decent CGI. And it's before, like, a lot of this stuff was in the public eye, True. you know. So there, stuff was out there, but it wasn't really until, like, the X-Files became popular that there was, you know, a, a more serious focus on it. But so they would have been looking at Travis's story as, well, we can verify all the stuff that did happen here on Earth because there's law enforcement involved right. and there's yeah. there's yeah. a paper trail of it. And yeah, we can, we can verify it. And, but yeah. they would look at what happened on the ship as being like, well, we don't really think this guy's telling the truth because or he's crazy. It's he his he was story. By we can make up whatever vision right. we want. You know, aliens on board craft, things happen. Go back to Earth. They yeah. don't, yeah, they don't need to, they don't need to, to be true to his story because they probably didn't believe his story was true you know so that that's i know they say that it's based on a true story and like yeah. they, they're selling it to him as hey man we really want to tell your story but you know that like in the end they're thinking to themselves like we could put whatever in this and it won't matter yeah, because well, <laughs> well what actually happened to him is boring in a certain sense so they had to make it a little bit more spicy i guess and you know and, and it probably suffered a little bit from the communion story too where, Which is another Hollywoodization of... Yeah, but, uh, but Whitley doesn't care about that. No. Like, he'll tell the Hollywood story. He doesn't care. No, true. But the but but I think that that was kind of... Yeah. I, mean, I don't mean to badmouth Whitley. People get mad when I do that, but, you know, I just... Uh, he's his own worst enemy with it. It's, it is what it is. But the the... That film having the elements that it had, I think they wanted to work some of that story and and we see that in a lot of these other like you you I remember when you were talking to us about the movie The Fifth Kind before it was a movie and you were talking about like they were making a movie about these cases and they had been looking into these cases these real life true cases and then the movie that came out was just a complete bastardization yeah. of those true cases uh, and it was really just like we're going to do what we want because we don't think these people are telling the truth anyway and I think that that's part of what happened with you know going back to the original Amityville horror movie and the book like yeah, yeah. you and can there was I mean to a very loose degree they did the same thing with Blair Witch which had pieces of other cases, you know, type of thing that happened, and they stitched that together into a story. Yeah, I mean, that was... That kind of came out from being completely fabricated to begin with, though. So, like, that was more of... You know, we're drawing inspiration from. Right. That's so, what I'm saying. They took pieces, you know, so, they took yeah, old stories and then they made their own story out of little it's, pieces. It's, so with that, it's like, it's not as egregious as, no, you know, yeah. messing with somebody's story. Uh, although some people were mad about the legends that they did pick up, that they didn't just tell the legends. But the the idea of taking a true story and turning it into, I mean, if you look at the 70s, there was there were a ton of these based on a true story books that were coming out, but they weren't paranormal themed. Right. They were all these true crime books, and there was a ton of those. And I remember because they were all in my house, because <laughs> my mother would read every single one of them, and so would my grandmother and my aunt, and they would just pass them around between them. But you know, every one of these these stories would get turned into a book, and the book was not necessarily the truth. I mean. Uh, People here in New Bedford went through that yeah. with the killing season, the book about the highway murders, where they say, okay, you know, it's it's a movie, but it's not, I mean, it's a, it's a book, but it's not really going to be an accurate book. And 
part of that is because you have an outsider trying to tell the story. And part of that is because like it's not it's not a nonfiction book. It's not made to be uh, you know, the, the 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 document of what happened. It's made to be a true crime book that people will buy. And we even see some degree of that in some of the, you know, not the documentary documentaries that come out about true crime stuff, but some of the, you know, the, the shows like uh, that are on Discovery ID and, and Headline News where it's like, you know, uh, I don't even know the names of the programs, but it's like, you know, um, Blonde Haired Blue Eyed Killers or something like that. I'm okay, just, I'm just yeah. making up a title. No, I got you. But got like you, even, even the, the facts on those sometimes get a little bit warped. Uh, but the the there is a good undercurrent of uh, documentary filmmaking and podcasting that is telling the true story of those cases, uh, and I'm glad for it. But in the '70s, you know that that was kind of the the idea was the based on a true story got helped you get away with a lot of stuff. And so, if you remember, you know the Lutzes talking about what happened. They, they came out and said, you know, a lot of it was um, blown out of proportion or a lot of it was added into their story, but that they had to go along with what it was as part of the agreement that they had. So now that's going to, to muddy the waters a little bit because how can you backtrack on that later on and say, well, we were told to say that, you know, like now you really hurt your credibility. Uh, there's also the fact that people, half the people in Amityville, well, I'm sure most of the people in Amityville, but, uh, you know, half the world doesn't believe the story. They think that the whole thing is a hoax and that the whole thing is made up. So let me ask you, based on what you know of the case and what you, and I know that you've digested just as much of it as I have over the years, was it a hoax? Did something happen in that house? Well, something definitely did happen in that house with in in the Tepeo's case, right? Yeah, but um, I I I do think there could have been something going on afterwards. If there wasn't something before, it definitely is now. Uh, well, I, I, mean, I don't know about now, or because that's the other part of this story is that we haven't heard from anybody else that's lived there about more things happening. Now, I actually have a statement here. Okay. Let's see if I can pull it up. I think I lost it. But has it really, really been occupied? I, oh, I yeah. Know. No, it's been occupied right along. It's, it, there ha I think there was a brief period where it was unoccupied. Um, I want to say in the early 2000s or, or right around 2010, there was a, po a portion of time when it was unoccupied. Somebody owned it, but they didn't live in it. It wasn't their full-time residence. Yeah. Uh, but I think right along since then, people have lived in it as their primary home. Uh, there was a statement that was from one of the families that lived in there after the Lutzes that basically said, none of this, nothing has ever happened in our home and this is a total and complete hoax. And I, I don't know how you can say that because well, you, you can say- The McGinn's had lived in- Lizzie's and had decades where nothing happened, and then well, I mean, but Martha did say that there was there might have been things that they weren't paying attention to. to. Yeah, so things so could have happened. Can that not be the same case here? Right, and that well, uh, I don't know. 
It all depends upon the subtleties of it. There's, you know, there's a difference between something being thrown at you and, you know, he's moving from the left side of the table to the right side of the table without you noticing. But when you live in the Lizzie Borden house, you just know it as the house where murders took place. And so that might not, especially if you're not a paranormal believer, yeah. that might not necessarily put any kind of paranormal activity on your radar. If you live in the Amityville house post Lutz family, you can't be unaware of the fact. idea seeded in. Yeah, I got you. So if, if, the, you know, if it hadn't been the Lutzes that moved in after the DeFeos, if somebody else had moved in that, you know, didn't think about the paranormal, yeah, they might not notice things that happen. I mean... Obviously, the Lutz has had profound experiences, but I'm just saying, you know, you wouldn't have been moving in there thinking like you lived in a haunted house. You might be concerned about the fact that it could be haunted because people were killed in there, but you wouldn't move in with the mindset of yeah. living in a haunted house. And I'm sure the McGinn's kind of felt the same way where if there are ghosts, this would be a house that would be haunted, but they probably just didn't believe in it enough to feel like it was. And I think that that belief, you know, kind of does help power some stuff. Um now, does the power, does it make you at least observant to it? I mean, a little of both. Yeah. But I do I do think that anybody that lived in the Amityville house post-Lutz family, there's first of all, there's no way they aren't aware. Y yeah. So <laughs> you're definitely aware of what's, what, what the history what you're is. And, yeah. yeah. So when you buy it, you know, you're of the mindset of, and you kind of have to make that decision in your head, right away of I don't believe in this stuff. I don't know if any family has bought that house that was a believer in the paranormal. And I say that with confidence because if they were, I bet they would have come out and said something one way or the other. As opposed to, you know, saying uh, as one family did, you know, it's a hoax. It's the greatest hoax that's ever been. Somebody, the, the statement actually referred to it as, um, you know, Amityville's version of Watergate, which I don't know if I understand that reference because Watergate wasn't a hoax. It was a crime. Yeah. So, eh, I mean, I understand. I kind of get what you're trying to say, but it's also not the best, uh, the best reference point either. But that being said, if, if somebody had moved into that house that was remotely interested in the idea of the existence of ghosts, we would have heard something from them, I think, of saying, you know, yep. yes or no, we've had experiences we haven't. It is pretty interesting to see, you know, that the, the, it's been overwhelmingly the other way. Overwhelmingly people saying, like, there's no way this is true. Whether it be the families that live there, the neighbors, what have you. I also would understand why they would want to say that, even if it wasn't true. So if you go out there and you buy that house, which has fluctuated in price, by the way, from anywhere from $1.2 million to $500,000 over the past, you know, 20 years. Well, look, why don't we just hit Powerball? Uh, yeah, listen, <clears throat> you know this, but not a lot of people know this. I had somebody, an investor that was willing to buy the house. And make you the caretaker. And turn it into a bed and breakfast. And we were told that it's not going to get approved. They will not change the zoning for that. So there's no way in hell. So that was the closest that I think we've come um, to getting in there. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't find other ways, but it'll happen at some point. I know it will. The, but 
people that live in town, the people especially that live in that neighborhood, they have a reason to want to see this story go away. Because you don't go and buy an $800,000 house, which is the average price of what, what's for sale around there. You don't go buy an $800,000 house and then want to have a bunch of people driving through your neighborhood to go pop in front of this house and take photos. How many friends do we know that have been there and that have done that? Right, but what happens is you have to you run out of the car and run back in. Yeah. And, and you shouldn't do it because they don't want you in the neighborhood doing it. But right. uh, the... The I, but that doesn't mean I'm still not going to go do it when I go. But the idea <laughs> is, the the idea is, you have to be respectful of the the circumstance. And we saw the same thing happen with the Conjuring House. Yeah. Uh, before it was opened up as a paranormal investigation place, you know that the neighbors around there didn't want people coming in. Now it's a whole matter of, you know, that's what people are going there for. Uh, and I was, I recently talked to, uh, Dan class who owns the Hinsdale house. And he was saying that he made sure that he made friends with all the neighbors because not only are they, is it important to keep them happy because there's going to be a lot of traffic coming into this area, this, this residential area before his house, but also because their neighbors are your best, you know, security system. Yeah. So you want to have them be on your side and you want to get along with them. And I think that that was something that was not necessarily the case with the previous owner of the Conjuring House. And I think maybe the new owners are trying to make sure that they, they do that. Uh, but in Amityville, they, don't, they just don't want you there. And I can only imagine what would happen if I showed up in town. Because you know I'm not just going to be satisfied with driving by and then turning around and going. You know... Um, a funny story. I actually, when I, when I was covering the Celtics, one of the early years that I covered the Celtics, there was a, a player that came to the team. Uh, I can't remember his name. It was Mike something. I can't remember his last name. But uh, he was from Amityville. Went to Amityville High School. And I, I was just was looking through my show notes. I mean, my game notes, rather. And it says, you know, where everybody went to high school, where they went to college, their hometown, gives you a little bio of them all. Like for every game, they used to do this and before they stopped printing them out because they were killing trees unnecessarily. Yeah. But as I'm going through, Mike, it almost just popped in my head, but it says that he's from Amityville. So I go in the locker room and I start talking to him about Amityville and, and he's of the mindset that the whole thing is a hoax. He's like, except a few times. And then he starts launching into some of these stories. And and I said, well, do a lot of people in town have that approach of, yeah, it's a hoax, but here's this story that I heard that I can't figure out. And so, um, it, you know, and he said that was kind of the way that, that they looked at it, that it was, uh, it was something where nobody wanted to believe it, but that wouldn't mean that they didn't have something that would lead them to possibly believe it. So that's uh that's understandable, I would think. Well, the only thing that really has me puzzled is that I'll call it infamous picture uh of the little boy and Oh the the yeah the um so the that happened during the seance that was conducted where the Warrens yeah. 
conducted the seance, but it was it, it was, was a, it was like twenty a, people in the professional house. Professional photographer by from a news there was newspaper. There was multiple media outlets there for yeah. that night, and and again, I can't say anything about the documentary. Um, but they do get into that very heavily in the documentary, like how that seance came about. Okay. It again, I can't review it. It's been so long since I read about that. I'm talking, you know, twenty something years ago. But yeah, that that's the only piece of paranormal thing that I saw that made me sit up and look and go, okay, you know, DePeo, he's looking for as far as I could tell as a. You know, my own personal beliefs. He was looking for a scapegoat for what he did. I think it was all messed up that night, and you know, stuff happened, and he snapped and whatever. And you know, he's looking, you know, to cover his ass. But um, by the way, Mike James was the name of the Celtics player. Okay. Up. Okay. Yeah, but I agree. I would agree with that. That you know, there's. You're, yeah, you need you need a good alibi, and he didn't have one. Well, The Exorcist had only been out a few years earlier, so that's I mean that that is something he I think can. The movie would have been two years prior to the Lutz case, if I remember right. Seventy three was the movie. Seventy two, seventy three, somewhere somewhere up. around there. Yeah, so that that would have been relatively fresh back then, and and talk about. You know, uh, a movie based on a real story. Well, partially based. They borrowed. So, you you got what what I mean. Exorcist was 73 based on the book from 71. Okay, yeah. I know 71 was in there somehow. And then um, Amityville was, I think, the Lutz murder. I mean, the DeFeo murders happened in 74. 74, And the Lutz Lutz family moved in December of 75. And then the book, I think, came out 77 and the movie came out 79. I might be wrong on some of those numbers, but I can I'll look those up during the break to see how close I am. But the you're right though, you know, the so the story came about supposedly, and this is where a lot of the people that look at it being a hoax point to, was the um the the lawyer for DeFeo, William Weber, he met with the Lutzes and what's it, the famous like two or three bottles of wine they concocted this yeah. whole story over. And so they came up with this story and then the idea was that Weber was then able to use the possession defense for for uh, DeFeo. Now, there's been people on both sides of that who have said that that's been overplayed. Uh, I think when we had Laura DiDio on, she said that that was kind of the the case that like, yeah, they did have a meeting, but there's no way that they concocted this whole story. Uh, mainly because can you imagine if Weber did participate in that story and creating it, wouldn't he have wanted to cut? Yeah. You know, like that would be a big part of it. And there was, I know there was something in the contract. They addressed this in the, in the documentary too, but that there was something in the contract that if they didn't play along with it or something like he would get the rights to the story. So there was some, also uh, a little known trivia fact, but Diane Franklin, who plays the sister in Amityville 2, goes on to play the mother in an Amityville movie that came out like two years ago that supposedly tells the DeFeo story too. Okay. So, yeah, I I forget that. And speaking of movies, as we're going through, uh, you know, talking about some of this stuff, there are no shortage of Amityville films coming out. 
we know that there have been a ton of them in recent years. Oh, yeah. My understanding is, and, and again, this is just stuff that I've heard. I don't have any proof of this. But my understanding is that the rights are up in a few years. So uh, they want to try and crank out as much of this as they can before the rights are up again because they expect that Blumhouse will snatch up those rights so that they can start producing Amityville movies connected to the Conjuring universe. Which, is if you saw... I think it was, what, Amity, um, uh, Conjuring 2, where they allude to the Amityville case. They have the, the uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren investigating what is obviously Amityville, but they don't call it that. And so there's an idea that they're trying to crank out as many titles as they can. There's another story that I heard, and I, I don't know how true this is, that because the rights were owned by Miramax or whatever, that they're trying to crank out as much as they can for... Harvey Weinstein's, you know, they were trying to crank him out for his defense fund yeah. because it was the only property that they had that was a moneymaker. I don't know if that's true because they sold Miramax to Disney, I think. So I think that that's kind of just been an overblown rumor. But I can't understand, like, trying to get that stuff out there because not only has it been, you know, I, I guess profitable. I guess people are watching these movies. Um, but also it's been... And highlighted in recent years because the Lutz kids came forward and each had their own version of the story to tell. So we have, you know, not only has there been a couple in the last few years, uh, let's see what those were. Um, uh, looking up the titles here. We had the Amityville Terror. Uh, we had, there was um, Amityville The Awakening. What was the one from 2018? The Amityville Murders. That's the one that has uh, Diane Franklin in it. But then there are a slew of other ones that are in the works. Amityville Island. That was supposedly something that came out this year. Uh, there was uh, Amityville Harvest. Now, none of these seem to have any direct connection to the Amityville house. The Amityville Hex is, is scheduled to come out next year. Uh, the the synopsis of that is a paranormal death hex becomes a viral sensation. Can it be stopped before it's too late? Wait a minute. A paranormal death hex becomes a... Are they trying to say that like when you talk about Amityville, there's a curse associated with it? Hmm. Stole that idea from us? Uh, <laughs> there's also um, the Amityville vampire. That's supposed to be coming out. No, no... Okay. Uh, there's no information on that. Now, keep in mind, some of these could just be low-budget things that have nothing to do with anything. Uh, this one is something that I'm interested in finding out more about it, but it's in development, and they don't have that much information about it. The Amityville Legend. I'm trying to find out what more about what that is. Uh, also, uh, Amityville Cop is another one that's in development. Okay. I think I mentioned Amityville Island. Island. Uh, we also had, uh, this one came out in 2020, I have to find a copy of this um, because the, the title alone makes me want to own it. And I bet you my friend Gary has a copy of this because he, he is as obsessed with Amityville as I am and he loves bad movies. <laughs> so he might have this. Um, this is called... I have to think of... Uh, I think if I can save this on the air. I guess it's after 10 p.m. The Amityville Vibrator. Okay. Do you want the synopsis on it? No, I think I no, got No, I'm going to give it to you anyway.
Kathy moves into a new home and soon comes into contact with a vibrator with ancient evil powers. Two researchers must locate this possessed item before Kathy and anyone else she encounters becomes a sex slave for Satan. Now, of course, one of the most famous things about the Amityville Horror movie is the priest going to bless the house and hearing a voice. What does the voice tell him? The voice tells him, get out. Yeah. And then, you know, for God's sake, get out. Well, um, the tagline on the poster for Amityville Vibrator, for God's sake, get off. Oh, God. So if anybody out there has a DVD copy of the Amityville Vibrator, I will uh, give you the address of the station. You can send it here. Uh, but I'm definitely going to try and look that up and see if I can find it for myself. Because, again, it came out. It, it, it has reviews. Let's see what the reviews are. It has 27 critic review, critical reviews. See if I recognize any of these sites that are... I'm sure Ram Lamone has uh, reviewed it. Speaking of Lamone, I want to thank him. I did get my gift, my package. I'm sure he's going to call in. But uh, I did get my, my gift that he had sent in the mail that he was um, concerned about whether or not I got it. Uh, he sent me the complete first miniseries of my favorite comic book character of all time. Ambush bug. Excellent. So part of one of the things that I've been talking about is I want to try to find out, you know, exactly what's going on with the rights to ambush bug, whether it's still maintained by DC comics, whether it, it has anything to do with Keith Giffen, the creator, uh, because I think that could be a huge character for DC to exploit and to, you know, to create properties for, because he could be the Deadpool of DC. In fact, I've, hmm. I've often told people that Deadpool owes uh, a debt of gratitude to Ambush Bug because the way that Deadpool breaks down the fourth wall and talks about Marvel and the Marvel Universe and all that comes directly from what Ambush Bug was doing about DC years before. So I've, I've, I've always been a, an ardent fan of Ambush Bug, even when other people tell me, like, it's the worst comic book character they've ever heard of in their life. <laughs> It's and like even his origin story is not really like we don't really know exactly what's true, you know. Is it is it a, a man sized bug? Is it a guy in a bug suit? Is it a guy in an alien suit? You know, it's 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 all very confusing and and uh, and it changes from story to story. So on purpose because like they they basically think nobody cares about the character, so we can screw with it as much as we can. But damn it, some of us are hardcore ambush bug fans. And want to see him get his just due. He did make it into one of the uh, DC games. Um, what was it? Injustice. He made it into that game as like a non-playable character that just shows up. And he was featured in an episode of Batman Brave and the Bold, the cartoon that came out a few years ago. And he was voiced in that by Henry Winkler. Oh, God. So if you've got the, the, Fonz. If you've got the Fonz doing your voice, you can't be that bad of a character. You know, although I don't think he was doing the Fonz voice for him. I think it was more as Henry Winkler voice, which anybody that's heard it knows is definitely not the Fonz. No. Uh, in fact, Henry Winkler as a person is like the most unfonzy guy that there ever was, which is why it just shows what a great actor he is, because the Fonz was the coolest. Still is. Absolutely. So 
We can talk about all that more coming up. Uh, We are going to take a break. Uh, On the other side, we'll take your calls as well, 508-996-0500 if you would like to call in. You can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can talk about the show on Twitter using the hashtag SpookyLive, and you can also... um, what uh, uh, email phone call yeah we there's no chat room because we don't have the video going uh i'll try and mess around with that and see if uh, we can't get that up and running but all you would have seen this week anyway it's just moniz and i and nobody cares about that it's just a matter of which one of us is gonna go get a haircut first you (laughs) probably uh i'll tell you why during the break um but yeah I, i i'm not quite at moniz level of the length of my hair yet but it's it's definitely gotten to the point and and my son's is even worse than mine. Like, his is down to almost his shoulders, and it's all curly and everything. I was like, you look like Sammy Hagar. Like, you should go get your okay. hair cut. Except he's, you know, blonde instead of, uh, well, Sammy. Sammy's blonde sometimes, too. Sometimes. Uh, but, uh, yeah. We'll be back with more Spooky South Coast in just a moment. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more here on WBSM. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You love the new Paranormal Radio app from talk stream live you'll find a great selection of talk shows covering ufos ghosts strange phenomena and much more download the paranormal radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment the paranormal radio app free in google play and the ios app store hi everybody this is tim weisberg the host of spooky south coast If you like Spooky South Coast, do us a favor, head on over to YouTube and subscribe to Spooky South Coast there. You can also download us anywhere you get podcasts, completely free of charge. Also, I host a weeknight program called Midnight Society on the brand new network Midnight.fm. You can tune in each and every Monday through Friday to find out all the latest paranormal interesting stuff going on out there and even some stuff that's not paranormal as well. You can listen live at 10 p.m. Eastern Time each and every weeknight, but if you can't listen live, then all you have to do is go to midnight.fm and subscribe, and you can listen to that program anytime you'd like. So SpookySouthCoast.com to get that program, midnight.fm to get Midnight Society. Thank you all for your support, and stay spooktacular. is uh, under the weather tonight. She'll hopefully be back. Well, we should be back next week with a new show and uh, and the week after that. But I think the third week or whatever, the, the 16th to 17th of January, I think we might not have a show because uh, I might have to travel. I can't reveal why. Well, I think I can. There was a, a, there was a certain television series that I was involved in in 2020 that... Uh, I may be going to film season two of. I'll know more on January 4th about that. But, you know, I might be out of town for that. Uh, and then 
we'll have our anniversary party coming up on January 15th. Mm -hmm. No, January 26th, yeah. our 15th anniversary party. So just another year and a half and we can drive. Yeah. And, <laughs> but I mean, I don't want to get all reflective about, um, about the, the anniversary, uh, especially because we've been accused of being too self-indulgent, but it's only because we, well, it's our show. We're just, we're just surprised each year that we made it another year. So, especially <laughs> this year, the way this year has gone, I almost feel like it's wrong to celebrate an anniversary this year because we missed half of 2020 when we couldn't get into the building. Yeah. So, but you know, we'll, we'll do something. And, uh, also I, I said to Moniz as, as the, the, we were going into the news as Amityville two was wrapping up on TV, you know, Oh, I wonder what's on now. And of course I knew there was going to be Amityville three, 3d. <laughs> now, did you see this in the theater when it was, when it came out in 3d? No, I saw it, uh, HBO, Cinemax, one of those. But it, did you ever see it in 3D? Like with no. Okay, I remember it was because I think this came out 83, so it would have been probably not that long after that uh, that I watched it in 3D at my house, and you used to have to go to the the 7-Eleven or whatever to get the 3D, 3D glasses, glasses to watch yeah. the 3D movies. Channel 56 showed a lot of 3D movies. True. They would do like King Kong in 3D and all these different, like, and you would have to go and get the glasses. House of Wax and all. Uh, yeah. But it was always, you know, something like along those lines. Yeah. But then I remember we got, um, I think you might, I think we might have talked about this before, but they had, I remember two different services, Preview and Starcase. Oh, God. They were like precursors <laughs> to cable. Yeah. It was like a box that you brought into your house. Yep. And it played the same movies every night, the same things at the same night every time. So if you missed it on Tuesday night at 8, you could watch it Wednesday night at 8. Yep. And it was basically, you know, the same way cable would be. It's like movies that were just in the theater maybe a year before, before they've gone to, to, to yeah. free television. It was connected to cable, but you had to buy the separate box for it or something like that. It, no, it wasn't. So it wasn't cable. It wasn't cable cable. So it didn't come from cable. I believe it was, if I remember right, it was over the ar it was over the airwaves, but you had to have the box to discramble the signal. So it was not, okay. it was not a door because we had it because Randolph hadn't yet gotten cable. I didn't get cable until I was five and I moved into Brockton but I, this was when I was four. We had this, and I remember it. I have recollections. And we had Starcase at my house, and my upstairs neighbor had Preview. So whatever you wanted to watch, we would just go, you know. Yep. If everybody wanted to watch something on Starcase, they'd come downstairs. If we wanted to watch something on Preview, we'd go upstairs. Um, which we probably could have just disconnected the boxes and brought those. But anyway, <laughs> but I remember that's when I think I saw Amityville in 3D, and then... Jaws 3D. I remember seeing that the same way, where you, and you had to get the glasses from the, you know, from the super uh, the uh, convenience store or whatever, and you could watch it in 3D at your house. So, yeah, I mean, Amityville is not a good movie. Amityville 3D is not a good movie. It's slightly better if you're watching it in 3D, but I'm kind of a little, I'm a little, uh, you know, a fan of it, but also not a fan of it because. It doesn't have anything to do with the Lutzes or the DeFeos, but they introduced the character of, uh, of what's his name? John Baxter, played by Tony Roberts, 
who is a journalist who is trying to look at what's going on from a journalistic perspective. So in a way, I kind of identify with that, you know? So I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, now that, I, you know, going back and watching it again, I was like, oh, I can kind of understand where he's coming from, but I also still think it's a lousy movie. <laughs> but it got worse, you know? <laughs> it wasn't the worst of the movies, but they definitely did get worse. Uh, but he... The idea is that even though they don't talk about the Lutzes, he's based on a true life investigator who is trying to, a true life journalist who is trying to prove that the Lutzes were creating a hoax. So they did kind of address that to some degree in the Amityville series. I think it was the next one where it started to get like less about the house and more about objects that came from the house. So we had like Amityville, it's about time, when it's the clock is haunted. Then I think there was another one where the mirror was haunted. Uh, you know, all these different items that people would bring into their homes that were originally in the Amityville house uh, because they couldn't keep making movies happen at the Amityville house. Yeah. Mainly because, I, if I remember right, sold. yeah, if I remember right, it had something to do with the house because the actual house that they film the movies at was in Tom's River, New Jersey. Like, the exteriors of the house yeah. are in Tom's River, New Jersey, and I think that house sold. So they weren't allowed to go there and film the exteriors anymore. And then when they started making all these new movies, they went to miniatures. So now all the houses that you see in these Amityville movies are just miniature Amityville houses that look like the original house. Which And if I'm not mistaken, they, um, one of the movies has the miniature, uh, miniature in the movie. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's an Amityville dollhouse movie. Yeah, uh, they they did change. So the house, for those who are unfamiliar, the house has changed its appearance. Yes. Uh, first of all, it's no longer 112 Ocean Avenue. In a in a brilliant move to throw everybody off, they changed the address to 108 Ocean Avenue. <laughs> um, and it still you know, it still looks exactly the same. The only difference is they took out the the, the quarter moon windows yeah. and replaced them with regular windows. But if you go back and you look. Uh, I think in the original Amityville movie, and certainly in Amityville 2, because I noticed that as I was watching it earlier, they don't have that, I, I don't know what you would call it, but the part of the house that sticks out in the front that has like the flat roof on it where you can go out of the second floor window and stand on the, the roof of that portion of the house, Yeah, that they don't have that in the movies, but that exists on the real house. Because I've always watched like footage of that and said to myself like, you never see like anybody putting a chair out there or a table or anything. Like it's just sitting there with nothing on it. And I was like, well, that's odd. Like you would think somebody would want to like go out their window and sit on a chair in that section. But uh, I don't know. I don't know how that all works. And I've, and I've never been fancy enough to live in a house that has a boathouse either. So yeah, true. gotcha. which my favorite part was when the Lutzes bought the house from the DeFeos, they had a pool like five feet from the actual river there, the you know the yeah. water that they're on. So I believe it's a pond. I think it's a river. I think it. I think it. I think it's a saltwater river that comes through to okay. connect to. It actually connects to the ocean. Okay. Um, I'd have to look at the geography of it, but five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is the number if you'd like to call in. And I think I know who's on the line here. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hello. What's shaking, Playboy? What's happening, Lamone? How are you? Pretty good. Just living and loving. So I, I guess you talked me up. 
talking you were talking about great movies, okay, funny movies. Have you ever seen the movie? It, it's a it's a copy. It's, it's, it's called The Exorcist. It's spelled like exercise sis, and it's a book, and it came around about the same time that self Nazis must die, and um and it has has like Richard Simmons, okay, and Richard Simmons <laughs> running around and fighting demons that possess fat ladies and stuff like that. He says, get out of her, get out of that fat bitch. He was part of my French. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did not see that. Chunky Alpha. It was really funny, and it's like I saw it like one time, and it's like Rich, you know how he has those, those shimmery, shiny shorts and stuff like that. He was running around, it was looking kind of like Epstein from a Welcome Back Carter with his hair, but his hair was big and stuff like. But just thinking, it was funny as it's all out. I, I thought it was really funny. I was walking when you were. I heard you guys talking about funny films. And you saw like uh, what was it in three D? I remember Piranha in three D, <laughs> and uh, I remember watching uh, the the black uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon in three D. Um, I think a lot of people had that. The first time doing you could set your television up to do three D. You know, actual, I, I just want to say yeah. I'm looking up on the internet The Exorcist with Richard Simmons, and I see nothing. I saw it when, when Surf Nazis Must Die came out. We saw that, I saw it at the theaters, in the theaters at the same time that that was in. We snuck in, saw it. Was at, at, at Cinema's 123 downtown on the Strip, off the Strip. I mean, downtown, off the Fremont. And it was awful. It was funny. It's, it's like, it's not like Exorcist, like Exercise Cyst. And it's like, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was it was funny as cat crap. It was really enjoyable. You know, speaking of, 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 of iconic bad movies, I don't know if you saw this, Lamone, but they are they're making a remake of the Toxic Avenger. Oh yeah, I told you about that like 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 four months ago. Yeah, I told you that we doing one of the after sessions, and it was like I told you that that, that would be kind of interesting. I think it's supposed to have the uh, little dude, um, the uh, Warwick, the one dude played the was uh, you know the guy who played Leprechaun, Warwick Davis. Yeah, I think or he, I don't know if he's still alive. Yeah, but they were supposed to have him playing that character. I think so. No, it's uh, it's actually they're actually gonna have Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones. Oh. Close enough, they all look alike. You oh, know, come when, on. When you're at that size, you know, heaven forbid, you know. <laughs> no, we no. can't We can't let that happen. You can't say that on the air. Uh, but, no. yeah, I mean, you know this. You go to a lot of movies. I mean, that's the thing yeah. is, you know, the, the, there's there's enough of these reboots being successful that they're just going to try everything. And at least, I know at least in this one, you know, Lloyd Kaufman is involved with the reboot. So, like, that is that's that's a good sign. Like like they're doing the Home Alone and like you know next like this year coming up uh, coming to America too so you know that's that's a good one to wait for that looks pretty I good think, I think one movie that I would like to see like the sequel to Bowfinger remember Bowfinger yeah I don't think that no. was, was successful enough to warrant a, a, a sequel I think that's such a, a such a sad thing because there's such great comic comedic talent they should have been able to do something special with that and right I, up there I was like with so Ishtar too. Right. I still laugh. <laughs> Hello. Which is, I still laugh. So it was funny to me. So, so but I think yes. Did, did you what get you to think? see did you get to see Wonder Woman eighty four? Yes I did. What, uh, Thursday night. What'd you think of it? I'm kinda of partial toward DC comes. I thought it was pretty good. I scale out of out of one to ten, I'd give it a seven. And Oof. that's pretty good. That's pretty decent for uh anything over a five, five and a half, six is pretty is worth watching. I, so, like, I, I, I don't think I would rate yeah. it that high myself. Well, well, I, I was I was kind of kind of had a lot of things. I wasn't the only person watching it, and so I had much excitement. I was all into it. 
like I said, they took the how did they took stuff out of it? They since you know had all that extra time to take in since it wasn't being shown, and they took parts out of it, so left it left the bit to be desired. There's but there's a lot more part, they could have taken out of it. It was way too long. But they're going to be putting that um, into the. Uh, I think some that's supposed to be running with that new uh, the new Justice League. The, the new movie that they're supposed to be doing is just like I think that's going to be good. And your ambush bug is going to be in um, the upcoming. Uh, it's not this Justice League movie. There's going to be the next one coming up. It's going to have something with. Uh, it'll have a lot of them with like I think the uh, the Flash. It's going to be the Flash movie. That's what's going to be. The party's going to make an appearance in there. Well, I just thought that would be kind of nice. And that would the be Christmas one too. That'd the be super awesome. Yeah, the too. ambush bug stalking stuffer. Yeah. Did you get that other thing for for, for the little one? I, I did. Was, I did. Thank you. He, I don't know if it's the right size. I don't want to, you know, I don't know if he's kind of chunky like us. So I didn't know. But do you think it'll fit him? Oh, yeah. And no, he, it, 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 no, he's 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 already over six feet tall and he's only 16. So I'm, I'm, okay. I'm definitely going to be forever looking up to him. He's already taller than I am. Well, that's good. That's good. You know, that's all I want. Playing basketball. That's all I want. All I said is, I want. I want a son that will be taller than I am, because I, you know, I, he should at least hit six feet. But the doctor told us long, long time ago, like, oh, he's going to be six feet, all right. He's going to be well over that. And so, you know, my my ceilings are only six foot seven. So <laughs> you did. You didn't say nothing about you being a mutant, huh? That passing on those mutant genes. No, so my 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 mutations are not the kind of mutations that are genetically. You know, I can't pass them on. You know, that was the first thing that I checked when he was born, was I went over and I counted the number of fingers that he has since I was born with an extra thumb. Well, you were. So what do you do with your extra thumb? Well, they took it off when I was a baby. Really? Or was, I know a lot of people born with extra pinkies. No, I had, pinky toes. I had an extra thumb on my left hand, and I still have the little scar from where they removed it. And uh, oh, you, and they didn't, they didn't let me keep it in a jar or anything. That's sad. You could be twice as cool as the Fonz. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> like imagine giving people that thumbs up, like two thumbs. I could have been, I could have been like Siskel and Ebert. I could have been their, uh, their guy that they call in when a movie's really, really good. Three thumbs up. Yeah, up where? So yeah, so <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, I was going to tell you a really good joke, but you might have to. Um, I can spell. I can start. These two tampons were walking down the street. Oh boy! And, Is this a? So, um, you know that we're on the regular radio, right? Yes, I know how. To, I know how to how to do this. So it's like. Uh, which one will be the first one to talk to you? Uh, I, I don't know. Neither. They're both stuck up. See you in. Uh, all right, that, that's okay. Yep. All right. Yep. 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 See you next Tuesday. All right. Okay. I'll, I, I, thank you, Lamone. We'll talk to you next week. I, I. Yeah. I can't let you stay on the air after that. Sorry. I'll get in trouble by the management. The. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate the uh, the humor, but not really what we were looking for. Uh, but again, you know, thank you for the the gifts in the mail. I don't want to seem ungrateful, but I can't let you stay on the air after that. 508-996-0500 for anybody but Lamone. we got to put him in timeout tonight uh, for the rest of the show. Uh, the Going back to what I was saying, though, about the... the, the the reboots of these movies and the remakes and the fact that they are now putting them out directly to streaming, I think we're going to see a lot more successful horror films by putting them in people. I know, I know that um, the horror movies have been one of the few things that have been successful in movie theaters the last few years. It's pretty much been superhero movies and horror movies that have been 
you know, driving the movie industry. Now, you never see the horror films show up in the, you know, the top 10. Uh, you know, maybe like the Annabelle movies or, you know, things from the Conjuring Universe might. But a lot of these other smaller horror films, like where they did a remake of Black Christmas, uh, you know, what are you know, Get Out, movies like that. Yeah. You know, those movies have done pretty well. And, they, you know, they might not beat the superhero movies in terms of the, the dollars that come in, but they've been keeping the industry afloat. You know, and when in between these superhero films, those are the movies that have been carrying the day. So it'll be interesting to see as they they're putting more stuff out on streaming if they hold back those horror films to put those in the theater. I don't know about you. I know that you don't have a lot of streaming services. Um, I kind of have all of them because I just sign up for them to watch something and then I forget to cancel them. I have basic cable and. That's mainly just so I can have internet connection. The CBS All Access, which is their streaming service, uh, which previously a lot of people had just because of the wealth of Star Trek that they have. They have everything Star Trek ever. Uh, they have the remastered original series. Have you seen this? No. So, uh, well, I got the DVD code. The, the remastered one, I don't know if the, if the if the DVDs are the remastered. I think this is from 2018. But the remastered have been upgraded to like, I guess, 4K. Uh, and they've replaced some of the special effects with some more modern special effects. Yes. So the Enterprise at the beginning looks different. Yes, yes, yes. I have seen the upgraded version. And it, and it looks super, super like crisp on the yeah. TV, but also you can kind of tell like, oh, that, that looks That's cardboard. New. That looks, that doesn't look like as, as real, that doesn't look as real as it should. I think I just saw somebody's hand sliding the sliding door open and closed, <laughs> you know, so it's like not as good. Um, but anyway, that's all up there. But they also have a remake of The Stand, Stephen King's The Stand, that they're putting out you know, it's a week by week release of, yeah, of this limited uh, series. Yeah, Goldberg's in it. Yep, and... she plays Mother Abigail. Okay. And uh, the guy from True Blood, uh, um, the Sarsgard, Scarsgard. It's a miniseries, right? Yeah. Just like the original one they did. But but this is definitely. I think they they probably have more episodes planned than than that one had because they're taking it very slow, and they're really kind of introducing all the characters the right way. But it's been it's been very well done. The music choices on that are phenomenal. So you know the first episode they introduce you to Randall Flagg at the end of it, and they hit you with Billy Joel's "The Stranger." Hmm. Great song, and used perfectly. Uh, and then the second one, you know, not to not to to ruin the story. Anybody that's familiar with the stand knows uh, that when Flagg lets Lloyd out of the prison. You know, he he gives them a key to get out of the jail cell, and so then they come out come at it with Melanie's brand new key. I don't know if you remember that song. I've got a brand new pair of roller skates. skates you got a brand, brand new key, new key. Yeah. which also works because Heather Graham is in the episode, uh, and she was Roller Girl in Boogie Nights, and that song was oh, associated shit. with that. So it really works on on multiple levels. But that's that's pretty well done for people that are looking for something to watch. Uh, but then. Uh, you know, I, I also caught on Shudder, there's a remastered version of Phantasm. What? So I didn't realize that this, in, I think it was 2016 or 18, J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot, his company Bad Robot, I guess he's a super fan of Phantasm. 
in Star Wars. It's one of my favorites. Well, in Star Wars, uh, in the you've seen the new Star Wars movies? Yeah, I've seen them with the enhancements. So in no, I mean the new ones, the the one the oh, new sequel series. Yeah. So when the Force Awakens comes out, came out, there was the the all chrome bad guy Captain Phasma. And the name Phasma is a tribute to Phantasm because it's the chrome of the the, yeah. the orbs. Yeah. So the there, the, there's a, re, a remastered version of Phantasm that J.J. Abrams oversaw. So, and I, I, so I watched that earlier today. It's pretty well done. So you can see it on Shutter for free. Well, if you have the Shutter service. But I also noticed that when I tried to call up, because I, I was trying to watch Phantasm 2, but that's not on Shutter. So I have to, like, get that from my cable box. But you can get the remastered one through the Comcast box, too. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, was, it was definitely a much crisper um, cut. It still, you know, looks very 70s. But what, what do you expect from, you know, a small independent movie from the 70s? But what, what is it that you like about Phantasm? Why is it one of your favorites? Well, besides the Hemi Kuda. Right. <laughs> Although... <laughs> It, the one thing that bothers me about that film is the fact that the guy who owns the car doesn't know anything, anything about, about it. it. Yeah. You know, like... Well, back when it was made, it was still, you know, just your average muscle car. But the the fact that the little brother is the one, like, fixing it, and then yeah. he's just, like, shaking his head like, I have no idea what you're talking about no. when you're talking about, you know, the header needs to be adjusted. Like, I just... That kind of bothered me a little bit, but... But what I liked about it was its premise. You know, it was a scary movie in the sense that it it wasn't all Hollywoodized special effects. Most of it was the horror was in, in suspense of the interaction of the characters. Yeah, you had a bit of the, you know, special effects added into it with the way they had the ball and everything. But, you know, the storyline carried itself and there's yeah you're right there's not a lot of like over-the-top special effects it right. looks very indie uh one of the other things about it though is do you know what the target audience was for that movie like i would assume you know the 18 to 34 crowd. it was like 10 to 12 year old boys really was who they were targeting with that film and if you think about it they wouldn't have been able to get into the film in, at the theater though Right, but that's not like, I don't think that was necessarily the concern about getting them into the theater. I think it was more about like making a movie that they could watch that would kind of stand up for them. So if you, and if you go back and you watch it, there's, uh, there's not a lot of objectionable material in the film. Not really. No. Like even, even the one F-bomb that's in the film, the kid just mouths the words. He doesn't actually say it out loud. And I, you know, there's some sexual situations, but they don't show anything. Right. So it's, it's done in a way where, yeah, you could be a 10, 12 year old boy and watch that movie. And your parents might be like, ah, I don't know if you really should see this. But then when you watch it, they're like, yeah, that's okay. You know, it's, and, and it's not overwhelmingly terrifying either that like it's going to give a kid nightmares. So it was, it's kind of like the perfect entry to horror. And I wish I had seen it, you know, when I was that age. Instead of seeing it, you know, years later. It came out in, what, 78, 79? Uh, 79, I think. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when you think about it, you know, the tall man was a character that yeah, lasted forever. And is now part of 
actually a how many tall man legends do we get that tall slender man well that's, there's a that's direct correlation of slender man yeah. to to the tall man and right. and you know part of it was the people who made that first movie like they had such a love for the story and the characters and right. everything that they wanted to keep going back to it. i mean uh, you know um what's his name there the the guy who became kind of the the main hero of the the movie reggie reggie yeah. you wouldn't expect that guy to be the hero like, and you wouldn't expect him to be the guy that, like, leads yeah. leads the series going forward. Ice cream truck driver. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, first of all, like, the, the first time I watched that movie, I was like, so is this guy, like, a friend of the director? Because he's a horrible actor, and he looks way too old to be part of the, the, the group of friends that he's part yeah. of. And then you find out, yes, he is a friend of the director, and that's how he got in the movie, and then becomes, like, the guy who leads the movie. Uh, let's take a phone call here. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hello. How are you? It's been a while. It certainly has been a while since you... Oh, oh, my bad. I just hung up on you. Call back. That was my fault. Totally my fault. Pushed the wrong button. I did. I went to uh, I went to put the next it's call on hold, and I pressed it on the wrong side. I saw it. <laughs> uh, so go ahead and call back. We'll take this call in the meantime. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hey, guys. John New Bedford. How's it going? Good. How are you? All right. Good. Um, getting back to uh, 3D movies uh, a couple minutes ago. I, I didn't see Phantasm. I'm, I'm a bad, bad person. Um, but it seems like in the 80s, the early 80s, there was a, this whole... I mean, 3D movies, every movie comes out in 3D now. But in the 80s, it seemed like there was this whole thing of... This whole... Like, the Jaws 3D, Friday the 13th 3D. Everything seemed to be in in 3D for this one you know group of years back then. And uh, I had Halloween some bad. Tree. I had some bad babysitters. Um, my uh, buddy of mine and I, his sister, worked at the mall, and she'd buy us tickets to movies we shouldn't have been seeing. So I saw Friday the Thirteenth 3D, um, Friday the Thirteenth Three, 3D at the mall, and I was like, I must have been seven. <laughs> uh, you know but that's it was I, I hate to sound like the old fuddy-duddy but it was a different time you know you could go and see that and nobody really nobody nobody was really checking ids of kids going into movies back then yeah it it, it, it was a different time and um it's you know yeah it was just i don't know i didn't think anything of it at the time but i remember seeing that i saw jaws 3d in the theaters and when you said Phantasm was, you know, aimed at like ten and around that age, that that's immediately what I thought of was I mean, Friday thirteenth three wasn't made for ten year olds or seven year olds. <laughs> but uh no, that's that's something I remember. Cherished childhood memory. <laughs> uh, and and when you went into a movie like that, you weren't the only kid that age in the movie. Exactly, exactly. You know, I remember uh, the the only time that I remember getting Flack trying to get into a movie was Showgirls. Oh. When Showgirls came out, and it was NC-17, but I, I believe I was 17, but one of my friends wasn't, so we did the old, you know, let him in the back door trick. Yeah, I was going to say, that came out in, like, the 90s, I think. Yeah, I, I think, I think I want to say it was... 95 or 96, so I was probably old enough to go see it, but, and it was the Buzzards Bay Theater that was running it, yeah. and my friend wasn't old enough, so we just, we went in, and we bought the tickets, we went down to the exit, and we opened the door and let them in, and then we got caught. I so. had, uh, 
I had I had an interesting uh, moment at the flagship theater, and um, it was it was Freddie versus Jason, and I went for it was a matinee on like a Tuesday. I had the day off for some reason, so I, I wanted to go see that. I was the only one in the theater. It must have been toward the end of the run. I was the only one in the theater. It was maybe two in the afternoon. It was a matinee show. I wanted to see Freddie versus Jason. And I'll, I'm, I'm one. I'll sit there through the credits. This is long before end credits scenes were even a thing. But partway through the credits, the film jammed and melted. Oh, wow. Which, which if, if you're in the movie theater, that's not something that happens. <laughs> So I was like, okay, the movie's over, I guess. The lights never came back up. I went outside. The whole outside of the theater was empty. There was no nobody at the concession. <laughs> there was no one at the ticket booth. So I just watched this movie. <laughs> and you felt like you were in a Freddy dream. <laughs> I watched the film melt. I go out. No one's around. <laughs> All of a sudden you hear, dun, 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 dun. Uh, I actually saw that in the theater. Um, and I, I saw it in the Wareham flagship and I think I was only one of like three or four people in the theater seeing it. Yeah. And, and I thought, wow, this is like, I, I would have expected more people to be in the theater to see this film, but there was, you know, that was it. We were the only ones that were in the theater and, and, and it was almost like we were a bunch of, you know, like we were like geeking out for every moment. Yeah. And cheering things on. I was like, I want to see like a Star Wars movie where everybody like stands up and cheers at certain scenes. Yeah, yeah. But the one the one time that I had something like what you had happen is I went and saw uh I think it was what, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, like the end of the El Mariachi series mm -hmm. of movies. And yeah. I was the only person in the theater. And it was the movie was just about, you know, at the climax, you know, the, the you know, at the the end of the film, but with like maybe twenty minutes left and the film broke. And I went and I complained and they're like, well, we can't, there's nothing we can do about it. Like, like you'll have to just come back and see it again. Like we can't fix it and start it up from that same point. So I was like, what? So I had to like go into another screening of it and watch the whole thing again. And it wasn't really that good of a movie to make it <laughs> worth sitting through all that much. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you very much for the call. All right. Later. Have a good night. Thank you. 508-996-0500. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I promise I won't hang up on you again. Well, that's okay. You know what? I thought it was me because I just got a new Bluetooth headset and I was like, hello? <laughs> no, I went to take the next call and put it on hold and I'm so out of practice that I just hung up on you. It, it's all good, Tim. It's not a big deal. How's everybody doing? It's been a while. Doing very well. How, how's, awesome. you, how's the family? Everyone's good. Little one's uh, teeth are coming in, though. That's been, uh, that's been challenging, but, you know. You think it's challenging now? Wait till they start falling out. You're going to go broke. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I don't know when it went from a it went from a quarter a tooth to $5 for the first tooth. Or I've seen some parents give $20, yeah, $20 bill for the first tooth. Yeah, I, although I remember... Well, I'll, I'm sorry, I'll tooth, I've seen the Tooth Fairy give $20. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not, the, not the awful movie with The Rock, though. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, but I, I was saying earlier, you know, I always felt like Phantasm 2 was very underrated. You know, especially the whole scene where they break into the hardware store and they're making the, um, all the all the weapons that they get. And, you know, yep. I know I know Reggie was like kind of the later hero, but I think the the four barrel shotgun should have been the real hero of the story. <laughs> True. Did Did you see that documentary? I don't know if you have Shutter. I did. I did. I, I took advantage of it through uh, Halloween. I think it was free for a little while. And, and did you watch Into the Darkness? 
I did, yes, yes. Yeah, Mo- I keep telling Moniz, like, you got to get yourself, like, a, a free trial of Shudder just so you can watch. It's a 10-hour documentary. Oh, Is it? Totally or four hours. Four-hour documentary yes. on all of the 80s horror films. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's funny because I've followed a couple of the YouTubers that put it together, um, Brendan Tennell and um, Good Bad Flicks for a few years now. And uh, they were involved in it, and it's really cool because just a lot of the feedback that they had put into it was just—it was just very well done. So yeah, and you get like you know some of the stars talking about it, some of the people that look back on it, you know, critically, uh, but really just everybody. And also, did you see the uh, the documentary on on Nightmare Two? Not the whole thing. We we started watching it actually, but I haven't I haven't watched the entire thing. But I know what you, which one you're talking about. Yeah, there's a whole documentary Moniz on A Nightmare on Elm Street Two. And how it is, you know, like a, a gay icon film. Mm-hmm. Really? I mean, it, how long has it been since you've seen Nightmare 2? Oh, God. Early, mid-90s. So if you go back and watch it now and you watch it through a different lens, um, it's a very, you know, it's it's very much the... How do I... It, it's, it's creating a male scream queen. And that's actually the name of the documentary. It's Scream Queen, mm-hmm. and um, and it, it's all about how you know the the actor who played what's his name Mark, yeah, the actor who played him is gay, and but like they didn't realize that they were making it into a, a, a gay horror film and having a gay character, a gay protagonist in the horror film. Mm-hmm. But it it when you look at it through that, you're like, oh, and it makes what is generally considered to be a bad movie. It, it makes a lot more sense, and it's a better movie as a result of it looking at through that lens. Because otherwise, whole, it's a bad film. Especially the whole part with the coach. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of parts in that movie that you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. But then they also didn't, you know, they claim they didn't even realize that they were doing that stuff when they were doing it. So, yeah. But it's hard. One thing to, I was going to say about Amityville 3D is I remember it being on WLVI 56 and the movie Loft. But um, I talk about a complete Mandela effect. I used to think that the um, actor that played the um, the writer and the dad, because like Lori Laughlin was in, I think wasn't Meg Ryan in it too. Yep, yeah, she's um, a friend, I believe. I, I just had to look this up tonight, and I was like, for the years, I could have sworn that like my memory was like that Dick Van Patten was in that movie. Dick Van Patten as... From Eight is Enough. <laughs> like, you know... But who did you think that he was? I thought he was the main actor in that movie. Oh, the star of the and, film? Yeah, and I was like, no, what the hell? He wasn't even in any of the Emmy <laughs> No, that would have actually... <laughs> that might have been a pretty horrific movie. <laughs> might have made it a better movie. Yeah. To have Dick Van Patten. Because I'm, I'm not a big Tony Roberts fan. It's like anything that that guy is in, I'm like, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to like... Like, I know he's in Annie Hall. But, you know, I just, I've never really, like, seen him in a lot of stuff that I remember. I mean, um, Christopher Walken was in Annie Hall, too, but, you know. But the um, the thing about these Amityville movies, especially, like, the ones that came along later, after three, I can't remember which one was which. I don't know how many of them you've seen, but to me, they're all just, like, one right after the other, like... I don't know. Like, I don't remember which which one was this one. I don't remember which one had this kid. Mm. I don't remember who starred in which one. It's just so... Um, Blended? Yeah and, and, yeah, and 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 derivative. One so derivative of the other one. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, 
I remember the three, the first three, from being you know younger, just because they were on those iconic Boston stations. But like, other than having a good laugh working in a video store many years later, Amityville Dollhouse was the only one that stuck out, just because it was like, you know, you'd walk by it and be like, oh, it's kind of stupid. <laughs> so I'm I'm taking a look at the list of Amityville films. And Amityville 4, The Evil Escapes, stars Patty Duke and Jane Wyatt. And it was written, it's based on the John John Jones novel. So he was the guy that wrote the Amityville 2 novelization and then wrote other Amityville books after that. So it's based on a John Jones book. But it, it, it was an NBC made-for-TV movie. Hmm. And I, I had no idea that. Uh, that, that was it. And it's based on the Amityville Horror Returns. Uh, so that is the the second, the fourth movie, rather. The fifth movie is The Amityville Curse, which stars Kim Coates. Uh, and that's based on Hans Holzer's book. Then, oh, okay. then they got into the direct-to-video stuff. Well, actually, Amityville Curse was direct-to-video, too. But then they got into Amityville, It's About Time, uh, Amityville, A New Generation, and uh, Amityville Dollhouse. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which one it was. Where it was like uh, I don't know. There, there's, there was, there was like one of them had like an incestuous side story. Uh, you know, there, there was just some very weird stuff. And then when the Amityville Horror came out in 2005, the remake, that's when it kicked off this whole new batch of. You know, new Amityville. I've never even heard of this one, Amityville Playhouse. Amityville Death House. Uh, Amityville No Escape. Amityville Evil Never Dies. Amityville Exorcism. Amityville Prison. Amityville Mount Misery Road. Witches of Amityville Academy. But I I, I do kind of want to see Amityville Vibrator. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm sure it's out there somewhere. It sounds like a trauma film. It, it really does. That was the thing that came to mind. And then Lamone, or was it you that had Lamone on the phone that said, uh, talked about Toxic Avenger? I was like, that sounds like a trauma film. The, um, the, <laughs> the idea of, if, if you've never seen like trauma beyond, oh, yeah. uh, uh and Juliet. Yeah. Tromeo and Juliet, poultry geist. Like mm-hmm. some of their movies are really, really like raunchy and, they make Toxic Avenger look like, you know, Casablanca. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you know what's funny? When Lamone was talking about that movie with Richard Simmons, what came to mind was that movie with Leslie Nielsen and Linda Blair, Repossessed. Repossessed, yep. I, I kind of feel like that was a scene from that movie. It might have been. That's probably why I'm not seeing anything about it. Yeah. If, you've, if you've ever seen... Uh, you know, if you had HBO in the the late '80s, you saw or, or, or early '90s, you saw Repossessed a thousand times. Oh yeah, yep. And actually, that's where I saw a lot of these Amityville movies was on HBO, like in the early days of HBO, mm-hmm. because they didn't have you know a lot of uh, they didn't have a lot of offerings, so you would just mm-hmm. kind of watch the same things over and over again. Yeah, it was another big movie they used to play was uh, Altered States. Yep, good movie. The, and what, I mean, I remember the first movie that I ever saw on HBO that was a movie that I wanted to see was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. 
And then I would just watch that every day because it was on every day. So I would just like, I'd come home from school and I'd be like, I'm going to see if it's on HBO and it would be. And I would just watch it again and again. But yeah, I mean, uh, there's, there's certainly a lot of uh, great eighties horror that is uh, still out there for people to discover. And, and I'm, I love the fact that Shudder is putting out all these documentaries about it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And especially where they have uh, some of like, uh, they have a Tom Savini, um, documentary about his background and everything and uh, a couple on like Jason and so forth there's a lot of good content on that on that uh, yeah I think I pay three or four bucks a month on my phone bill yeah to get access to it on my T-Mobile bill and it's it's it's, totally worth it yeah definitely I'll I'll convince Moniz to get it (laughs) you should Moniz you'd be you'd be a big fan of it yeah I give it a chance yeah yeah I think you get a free trial so it's worth just watching the free trial anyway would I be able to get it through my regular cable? Like uh, Comcast, no, it would have to be something that can like street like a streaming device. Well, I have an old PS4. That should do it. Okay. And if it doesn't do it, we can just we'll just get you a Fire Stick. Yeah. All right, Ross. Well, thanks All for right. the call. Have a good night. Happy New Year. All right, you too. Take All right. care. Ciao. Right. Bye. Oh, I, I just kind of again. Uh, we we will. Uh, yeah, we'll. I mean, we can get you a Fire Stick or. You know, I mean, I got, like I said, my PlayStation. around run number of different other things through that. So, I mean, if you have, do you have a smart TV? Yeah. So your smart TV might be able to do it too. Trust me, you will you will love this thing. Although the the you want to jump on the um, the hard part for me is the ability. Some of these, as you know, I don't deal with banks or other things like that, and they look right. Hard, you know. I try and pay things through prepaid credit cards, and some of these things don't let you do that, which annoys the hell out of me. Well, the um, if you want to watch the the remastered uh, Phantasm, it's only on until January eighth, then they're pulling it. So I think January eighth. So you wanna you wanna the original, try and, yeah, the yeah, but the remastered version, right? Um, and then the they don't have two on there, but then they have three, four, and five. So. Okay. The uh, the other thing about '80s horror too is, I I did an episode of Midnight Society where I was talking with, um, I forget the name of their podcast, but it's these two women that review horror stuff, and they wrote a whole book about Stephen King and all that kind of stuff. But you know the the there's a big undercurrent right now of people who are trying to keep not only 80s horror alive, but to keep that vibe alive. So they're making new films that feel like they're 80s horror movies. And this was, you know, a lot of people look at it and say, well, of course, Stranger Things made the 80s, 80s popular again. Yeah. But this goes, this was starting even before Stranger Things, where they're trying, you know, like what was that movie that came out a few years ago, The Void? Um, yeah. There's been quite a few of them where they're trying to like keep that same 80s, uh, idea alive. Also, another one. Do you have Netflix? Yes. So one just came out on Netflix um, yesterday called The Midnight Sky, with it's it's George Clooney stars I in it. I saw that last night. You watched the film? Yes. What did you think of the film? I I think it was actually pretty well done. I I enjoyed it. I thought that it got a little bit slowed down. It yeah. In the middle. I kind of figured out who the chick was. Oh yeah. After you know, I was like, uh, okay, I think I know where this is going. The the part that bothered me though was when. Oh, that's my fault. 
the part that bothered me was when they were trying to uh, to get to the Lake. other. Yeah, and, and it was like just going on forever. And I'm like, all right, enough already. Like, you're killing me yeah. with this journey. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Also, when, you know, on the scenes of this, like, wide out snow uh, of these, these blizzards happening in the Arctic Circle, I realized every little, um, like, little black speck or every little, like, piece of dust, everything that was on my TV screen. I could see it all behind that white background. I was like, oh, man. I, I, and I don't have any of those wipes for yep. your screen. And I was like, oh, so I got to take some home from my office in here. I was just, it was so aggravating during that scene. I was like, I can see everything. Like, how long has that dead fly been on my TV? That that was a good flick. I mean, I like the premise. I like the way they they did it and stuff like that. But, yeah, the middle part did drag it did, on. It did drag. All right, let's see if we can squeeze in a quick call. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hello. Hi, you're on the air. Hey, Tim. It's Jim. Hey, how's it going? Oh, I haven't talked to you guys in forever. No, Are y'all watching 80s music? I mean, 80s horror movies. Yeah. What stands out for you? Uh, several. Uh, the one I really liked, and I don't know why I liked it, was The Phantasm. Yep. Right. <laughs> I still can't figure out why. But the second and third ones were terrible. Uh, I thought. The Amityville ones, uh, I actually met a guy that knew the guy that lived in, I forgot his name, but lived in the house. The Lutzes? Uh, in the, of the Amityville. And they had a voice recording one night on an investigation that he had played back that he forgot he had. Which is kind of eerie. I mean, I I have the chance to hang out with Chris Lutz and hear him tell. You know, we were you know we were having beers and he was telling stories about the house that were just like fascinating me. Not even the the, the phenomena, but just the day to day living in the house. Like hearing what it was actually like inside that house was just incredible. Yeah, well, that's what this. Um, it was well, actually it was Tim Yancey who knew. Mr. Oh yeah. Lutz. Yep. And. They, I guess they were really good friends. Yeah, they were very close, yeah. Oh, my gosh. He, we were at, uh, I forgot where we were, somewhere in Florida. And he played back a uh, recording he forgot he had on one of his old tapes, or uh, recorders. And it was kind of eerie just to hear this guy's voice. And I can't, as I said, I can't talk too much about the review yeah. of the, the film, but the film has uh, some radio interviews that have not been heard since they originally aired featuring the Lutzes. I mean, it was interesting. I mean, that was, I had. And also Tim Yancey's in the, in the, in the documentary as well too. So, ah. so I think, yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. That comes out January 4th on the Ooh. discovery plus app or the discovery plus uh, streaming service. So I rec mm. I mean, I recommend giving it a try just to, to see this documentary. I will definitely do that. All right. Well, I hate to cut you short, but we are no just problem. about out of time. Just call say hi to you and Matt and all there, buddy. Well, and hello Thank to you. you. Hope everything's well, and a <laughs> happy new year to you. Hopefully we'll get to see you this coming year. Oh, I hope so. You know how it is. I'm trying to get up that way. Well, let us know when you do, and we'll make sure we can meet up. Cool beans. All right. Take it I'll easy. See you all later. Bye. Bye. And uh, we are just about out of time, about a minute left question for you. Do you have Amazon Prime? I do. 
somebody uh, was talking about the history of time travel. Maybe that's some oh, a that topic sounds, we can get. Yeah, into that sounds later. very cool. I'll have to look that up. I also watched a great documentary on Prime about um, the devil in art and like in architecture. Architecture, yeah. like it was really, really fascinating. And I had never had heard of the documentary before. And I just was flipping through stuff on Prime that I was recommending, and that came up, and it was very, very well done. So that was one of the many things that I watched during the uh, during lockdown. Okay. And, and and that's a that's a whole topic we could discuss we could do sometime on the show. But that'll do it for tonight. Until next week, everybody stay spooked out.